look at our scripture lesson for today. It's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. The word of God to you today. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. I'm grateful for your presence here today. If this is your first time with us today, we're honored. Thank you so much for choosing us. My name is Rodney. I'm one of the pastors here at New City, and I hope and I pray that you've been blessed by our time together in God's presence so far this morning. Today, we're going to walk through our final installment, final installment of our Find and Follow series. Has it been a blessing to anybody so far this series, Find and Follow? Amen. 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 So grateful for that. Um, but as we kick into this final installment, we just read uh, Jesus' final words to his followers, to his church. And these six words are how we summarize what we just read. These six words are how we summarize Jesus' great commission. Helping people find and follow Jesus. Helping people find and follow Jesus. Now, when, I, when we say that, are we talking about Christians or non-Christians? Yes. Yes. When we say that, are we saying that the church's mission is to help individuals and families find and follow Jesus? Or are we saying that we want all of you to help others find and follow Jesus? Yes. We're saying both. We're saying both. But let me talk just a little bit about finding Jesus here um, as we kick off this final message. Finding Jesus. In John chapter 1, it records uh, the story of some of the first disciples modeling this for us. Modeling helping people find and follow Jesus. We see this with Peter and Andrew James and John and others. And as it has been said, helping people find Jesus is like one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. Right? And as I mentioned last week, a good place to start with this is in our own relational world. Right? That's a good place to start with this. People that are close to you, but that are far from God. And if we take a few moments to think about that, we all know can think of people that are close to us, but that are far from God. So as we endeavor to help people find and follow Jesus, let's start with those in our own relational world. You all have heard uh, bits and pieces of my story of finding Jesus and how Rodney Parker helped lead me to Christ. But it actually started before that. It actually started before that. God used a kid, 15 years old, named Carlton, uh, to begin to plant seeds. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, a little bit later on today, but in all of our stories, in all of our stories, we find Jesus for the first time, but then we must continue to find him over and over again in the story of our lives. I'm learning that we must continue to find him in our various situations and in our circumstances. It's not a one-time thing, but as we continue to find Jesus, we begin to realize that in every new city and every job. He's already there. And the first disciples, as they began to find and follow Jesus, they came to realize that 
finding Jesus meant coming to understand that he was looking for them all. And as we live out our lives, continue to God, continue to find him in our situations and our circumstances, we'll realize that just like the first disciples, he was looking for us all along. Jesus came to us because he wanted to be found. Came to us because he wanted to be found. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he when he walked through the city of Athens in Acts chapter 17, he saw many idols and he saw the scripture that led to an unknown God. He began to speak with religious people and philosophers and, and spiritual leaders who loved to talk about their latest thinking, the latest ideas related to finding meaning and purpose. Let's look at this for a moment together. Uh, Acts 17, verses 22 through 27. He says, So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I noticed that you were very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him, though He is not far from any of us. I love this passage here. I love what the message Bible says uh, of that last verse. It says, He doesn't play hide and seek with us. He doesn't play hide and seek with us. He is not remote. He's near. He's not remote. So He's addressing all of these. He said, You're very spiritual. In every way, you're very religious in every way. But the God that you seek is the one I'm telling you about. And he's right here among you. He's right here among you. I love in the, the Rattle Muscle Gospel, Brennan, Matt, Brennan Manning said, uh, he, he wrote this, he said, the story goes that a public sinner was excommunicated and forbidden entry to the church. He took his woes to God and said, they won't let me in, Lord, because I'm a sinner. To which God said, what are you complaining about? They won't let me in, either. And this is the sad state of the culture that we live in. This is a sad state. The truth is, many people will say they're spiritual. Whether they rock with Jesus or not, whether they go to church, they'll say they're spiritual because it's become cool to say that in our culture. It's become cool to say that. And I'm on a quest. I'm on a quest for meaning. Purpose. You feel me? I'm on a quest. You hear it, you see it all the time. People say that. I'm on a quest. I'm, I'm spiritual. I'm on this quest for meaning and purpose. And many people will, will agree and affirm that one. Many people will agree and affirm that. It's much less accepted to say, I found the one true God. And this is what Jesus says about himself, about me, and about following him. It's much less accepted to say that. Here's the truth. I need you to hear me. Jesus wants us, wants people to find him. He wants that. He wants us to find him, though we're discouraged 
to deal with many things in life. He wants us to find him. He wants us to become aware of his presence. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end at him just wanting us to find him. Jesus wants us to not only find his grace, but he also wants us to follow his truth. He wants us to follow his truth. Now let's talk about following Jesus here for just a moment. Following Jesus. When we encounter Jesus for who he is, there's always so much more. When we encounter him for who he is, there is always so much more. The disciples who had names and stories before finding Jesus, they became disciples not because they found Jesus, but because they chose to follow Jesus. That's what made them disciples, because they chose to follow him. They're not called the finders of Jesus, are they? They're called the disciples, the followers of Jesus. This is why we're still stalking this now as a church. Because for some of us, it's true, we need to find him. But for others of us, we need to step into discipleship, following Jesus. And so these words from Jesus in Mark 1.17 change everything. What he said in Mark 17, come, follow me, changed everything. Changed everything. Not only did it change everything for the first disciples, but it would change everything for us when we take them to heart. It changed everything for us when we, when we take them to heart and truly follow King Jesus. But here's a challenge. Here's a challenge. The invitation to follow Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life is at the same time the invitation to unfollow Jesus. Right? The invitation to follow Jesus is at the same time an invitation to unfollow your best self. It's an invitation to unfollow yourself, your ways of thinking, your presumptions about how God should bless you, how God should move in your life. It's an invitation to let all of that go, as we mentioned last week. As we quoted Jesus saying last week, it's an invitation to give up your own. That's the challenge is to give up our own way, but that's what true, authentic discipleship is. Giving up our own way. This is why in our prayer series, we talked about this. One of the most significant things we can pray is what Jesus taught. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so this is important for us as disciples because following Jesus is the lifelong purpose of every disciple. Following Jesus is the lifelong purpose of every disciple. And family, I'm learning that a disciple is not simply someone who comes to church. A disciple is someone who is committed to the process of becoming a Christ follower. Committed to that process. Committed to the process of becoming Christ-like. Because the invitation of Jesus is among many invitations seeking space in our hearts, isn't it? So among many, if we're honest today, the invitation of Jesus is among many invitations that want to set up kingdom, that want to establish themselves in our hearts. Because the truth is, we have it in us. And if you don't, if you don't believe that, all you have to do is turn on the TV and turn it on. Open a newspaper. What, is, what should be clear to everybody in this room is that we have it in us. And so for a lot of us, the invitation of Jesus among these other invitations. 
was also the invitation to be anxious. It's also an invitation to worry, an invitation to be fearful, an invitation to control, to want to manipulate situations and circumstances. What about the invitation to pleasure over purpose? It's also an invitation for the approval of others. And in all of these shadow invitations, in all of these shadow invitations, and everything else going on in our heart, my prayer, my hope is that we respond to the invitation of King Jesus, who is always saying to us, come, follow me. So as we talk about this, I want you to think about what it would look like for you to come back to this invitation, for this invitation to follow Jesus. When you're upset, when you're discouraged, when you're depressed, what would it look like in that moment for you to come back to this invitation? To remember those words, come, follow what would it look like to think through that when you're anxious or when you're worried or when you're fearful? Or even as I say that, I think about moments like this. When my introverted child wants to rise up, what would it look like for me in this moment to come and follow the king? And these are three words that, that my hope is, is that we'll carry with us for the rest of our lives. And that moment by moment, we would engage this invitation and we would respond to it and that we would in fact follow the king. Because it would be an amazing thing for our church to come back to the simple invitation of following Jesus. The truth is, complexity is the enemy of growth. When we make things more complicated than what they should be, that becomes an enemy to our growth. We do this all the time. We do this a lot in spiritual circles. We make it harder than it's supposed to be. And that becomes a hindrance to our growth. This is why, as a church, we need a simple, healthy people come and follow Jesus. Because not only is complexity the enemy of growth, busyness is the thief of joy, right? Some of us are so busy, we've got so many things going on in our calendars, and it steals our joy. It robs us from opportunities to get back to the things of the King. To hear the invitation to come and to follow me. For some of us, that's that's a practical application right there. Create margin in your day to stay in the presence of God and remember the invitation to follow me. In Luke 10, verse 41, we see this even in scripture. Luke 10, 41, Jesus said, Martha, you are concerned about many things, but there is only one thing that really matters. Only one thing that really matters. Right? Only one thing. Come and follow me. Only one thing that matters. In other words, Jesus is here. Pay attention to him. Jesus is in your situation, in your circumstance. Pay attention to him. As we examine this great commission, we see that the one thing that's important is helping people find and follow Jesus. Helping people find and follow Jesus. A good thing for us to do when we're confused about how to follow Jesus in our own lives, it's to simply give God your best yes right where you are. God, what's my best yes with my wife? What's my best yes with my children? What's my best yes on my job? Make the decision that you believe to be most in line with the character of God as demonstrated in your life. That's what you do. You make the decision that you believe in faith 
that lines up the most with, with what we know to be God's character in His Word. And if you don't know the difference, then you should wait. We talked about this before. We often like to get ahead of God, out of God's timing. We get out of step with God. But discipleship is about following. It's about following God. So let's talk for a minute about discipleship here. Many of us have heard the word discipleship, and this word uh, has come to mean many things. For us, I said it before, I'll say it again. It means helping people find and follow Jesus. Now, in some places and spaces in the church, these two things, finding and following, have been pitted against one another. Right? Let me say it another way. Evangelism versus discipleship. In a lot of churches and spaces, they've been pitted against each other as if somehow helping someone find Jesus is a threat to helping somebody else find Jesus. And so for us, we got to reject this false premise because Jesus did. We read the book, Jesus rejected this false premise. True discipleship is both finding and following Jesus ourselves and then helping others to do the same. Because the truth is, discipleship begins before conversion. Your discipleship began before you were converted. It began before you gave your heart and your life to Christ, whether you realize it or not. God sent someone or some people that loved, served, and friendshiped you before you were converted. I told you about a kid named Carlton. I met when I was 15 years old. Years before Rodney Parker came along and led me to Christ and to where my conversion was. Years before that, God sent a weird, awkward kid named Carlton. And to be honest, Carlton didn't have a lot of friends in our house. We didn't have a lot of friends. But he was so hot for Jesus. He was so hot. I never forget, he would come over to our house and sit on the porch and just talk to my brother and I about Jesus. Years before Rodney Parker came along, my discipleship process started there. And likewise for you, God sent somebody to love on you, to serve you, to be a blessing to you long before your conversion. God used Carlton to plant seeds long before. And so what if the people who found Jesus and decided to follow him, what if they went and helped more people find and follow Jesus? What if that happened? What if you weren't afraid or ashamed to share your experiences with God with other people? What if you weren't afraid or ashamed to do that? This is, this is our number one purpose. As children of God, this is our number one purpose. To help people find and follow Him. Disciples making disciples who then make disciples. This is why we're here. This is why we're talking about this. Because the disciples before us, they took it seriously. That's why we're here. The disciples before us took it seriously. As a kid, Carlton took it seriously. He took it seriously. As a young man, Rodney Parker took it seriously. What if all of us in this room today decided to take it seriously? What if we decided, what, what if we decided that it was going to be more than just coming come to church? What if we decided it was going to be bigger than that? going to be more than just coming to church? Because this is what true discipleship is, following after the king. This is what it is. I mentioned before what Dallas Willis said. He said, there's not a problem in the world. Not a problem in our church. That discipleship is not 
Before I get out of here, let's finish up today by talking about how we do this. How? How do we go and make disciples? I mentioned last week that Jesus answered this question in the last part of our verse. But how do we do this? Let's look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20 again. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and in earth. We talked about that in week one, this all authority that Jesus has. Then he says, therefore go and make disciples. We talked about that word go meaning that our faith is an active faith. It's a dynamic faith that moves. It's not static, right? And then he says, make disciples, right? We understood through that that disciples are not creating that conversion, right? They are the product of a process. Then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. So that's how we do it. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach these new disciples all to obey all the commands that I have given. That's the how, baptizing and teaching, right? Let me talk uh, first about baptizing them in the name of the Trinity. Baptizing them in the name, name of the Trinity. It, baptism is a public identification with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's a public identification with that. But it's also an identification with his church, with his body. It's an identification with his death, burial, and resurrection, and his body. Now, the normative form of baptism was through water immersion. The, the normative form of that in the New Testament was through water immersion. And the rite of baptism was something that preceded Jesus, right? Remember, John was baptizing people in the Jordan. Jesus himself was baptized by John. And in that Jesus being baptized, we see the Trinity present in that, in that, in that scene. But baptism is a symbol of religious cleansing, New beginnings and identification. That's what baptism is. Here's a picture of when I got baptized in 2016 for the second time. That's all right. Yeah, come on. Yes. Yes. Now, this was me getting baptized after 20. I had got, I was baptized the first time 20 years before that, but this was during that valley, valley in the valley season. That's what this was. And so I needed a fresh feeling, a fresh commitment to the gospel of Christ. And so I decided after 20 years, I needed, I needed a fresh commitment. Now, you don't have to be baptized more than once. Okay, I don't want you to hear that. But this is my story. I needed this, I needed this, this, this fresh encounter with God. And you can see on my face, it was, it was a thing. I was going through it. It was a thing for me, but I, I needed this. And so next week, we're, we're going to have baptism here next week as we celebrate next gen. we got some children that will be baptized next week. I'm super excited about that. Having this moment for our young people, and we all get to witness that. We'll have another opportunity in the fall for those of you, for those adults, if you're in the room and you, you need, maybe like me, you need, you need a fresh remembrance, or you want to get baptized for the first time, you have an opportunity to do that coming up this fall. But Jesus takes this religious rite of baptism, he takes this religious rite of baptism, and he gives me meaning to it. Because the cleansing of sin is from his sacrifice on the cross. New life is offered through his resurrection, and new identity is what we now have as a member of God's forever family, marked as his own. 
as his own. But this command from Jesus, when he says baptize, this command is not just about the physical act. I need you to hear this. It's not just about the physical act of baptism. Jesus is essentially saying, I want you, my disciples, I want you to go to people and immerse them into the life of God. Immerse them into the reality of the gospel. That's what this is. Immersing people into the reality of the gospel. And baptism is a way of you and I inviting people to fully experience union with the triune God. That's identity. And belonging with his church. That's what baptism is. When you think about it, we all search for identity and belonging, don't we? Young people. Yes, you do. I see it as a pastor, as a life coach, chaplain in Charlotte Fire. I see it everywhere. We're all searching for identity and belonging. Two things that come automatically when you follow the mandate, the commission that Jesus has sent out for us. If we follow what he gave us, identity becomes clear. Purpose becomes more clear. When we follow what Jesus has given us. So we make disciples by inviting people into the experience of the fullness of life with God. We baptize and we make disciples by inviting people to sit at God's table as a full family member of God. But Jesus mentioned something else. He mentioned teaching people the way of Jesus. So people are baptized in the name of the Trinity, and then we teach them the way of Jesus. We teach them the way of Jesus. We tell people what Jesus told us. Right? Again, we don't want to make this hard. We tell people what Jesus told us. Told people, tell people. Right? Told people, tell people. He said, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. In other words, we just give what we have been given. The implication of this is you can't give to others what you don't have yourself. You can't give to others what you have not fully embraced. Maybe that's the reason. Maybe that's the reason that some of us are shaky with sharing our faith or giving to others what we've been given. Maybe that's the reason. Because we haven't fully embraced it for ourselves. And if that's you, it is okay. Because every breath is an opportunity to embrace the goodness and the grace and the love of God. This is an opportunity for us today to embrace it. To embrace it even more. Because as disciples, we teach the truth about Jesus and what he said. This is how we become disciples who make disciples who make disciples. But again, we start this in our own relational world. Start in your own heart. Start in your own heart and then think about the people that are close to you but that are far from God. And I'm believing that as you step forward in this with courage and boldness by the Holy Spirit that God will open doors. He'll open doors for us to help people find and follow Jesus. Because the truth is, we are all teachers, aren't we? We're all teachers. We all are. I know you think you're shy. I know. But it's your favorite song for the morning. You just shout it. You sing your heart out. Mm-hmm. Yes, you would. But we're all teachers, right? And teaching comes in many forms. Watch this face. Teaching comes in many forms. In many forms. Not just, not just what we say, but how we live, right? Teaching comes through how we treat our spouses, how we treat our children, how we show up on the job, 
those things are opportunities for us to teach people. To teach people. So as I close, my question is simple. What if? What if? What if you Thank you.
Thank you.